So we're going to land the plane today on a conversation we've been having over the last couple of weeks around this topic, God's will is whatever. And uh, as you can see, the graphic for this uh, conversation includes a light bulb that's being shattered. And it was really my intention from the outset, particularly for those of you who have been around church for for certain uh, period of time, or maybe grew up in a church, or have had a level of exposure to a church, I'd... With a reasonable level of accuracy and based on experience in church leadership for a couple of decades, it was quite easy for me to conclude that many of you would have had a particular viewpoint or a particular notion or have been exposed to or been taught a particular uh, point of view about God's will. That that God's will is this this finite point uh, somewhere at some time and that we need to zero in on that finite point. And if we zero in on that finite point, God's happy and we're happy because we're living right in God's will. The problem is, if that's true, if that's really how God's will operates, then that's terrifying. Because if you miss that point, if you marry the wrong person, take the wrong career, study at the wrong university, live in the wrong suburb, live in the wrong house, have the wrong kids, whatever it is, if you miss it, That's it. You screwed up. You're out of God's will. And we teed off the very first thing that we said in this conversation around God's will is whatever is a quote from one of the early church thinkers, a guy named Augustine, who famously said, love God and do whatever you please. Love God and do whatever you please. Now, many of us have become world class at the second half of this. The problem is, that's not going to get you into the sweet spot of God's will. Because Augustine's teaching, it wasn't coincidence that there was a priority order in the first half and the second half of the sentence. Love God and do whatever you please. And really it draws from, from an idea that you'll find right throughout uh, the early teachings and the early letters of particularly a guy named Paul who, who wrote a lot of what's now the new part of the Bible. Um, and he, he wrote to a church at a place called Colossae. And this is what he gave some instruction to them. He said, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. It was from this idea and, 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 and uh, paralleling with Augustine's instruction that we have been teaching from this template, just this model. Most of us are visual people. And so we came up with just a, a visual kind of depiction of what God's will kind of looks like from a theological point of view. Okay. What is Paul talking about? Well, at its broadest level, God's will is often referred to as his sovereign will, or we've called it the works of God. And these are things that God has done, and they're going to be some things that God's going to do. And we, don't, we, we, we're, we're a, we can be a part of the story, but we don't actually make those things happen. One of the classic examples is creation. God just decided to do it. There was no one else around, apart from Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the angels. But creation, bam, done. Didn't need a vote. Didn't need a committee. Didn't need a chain gang to to work the construction. Got it done. The works of God. 
Jesus, and, and God's story from the beginning of creation has continued. And we, if we choose to, can be a part of that story. But we don't actually have to be involved in this because God's just going to get his business done at that level. Having said that, we talked about this idea of God having a general will. Okay, we call that the ways of God. Now, the Bible. Some of you have a Bible. Some of you maybe don't have a Bible. Some of you have maybe read your Bible. Some of you maybe haven't read your Bible. Some of you maybe read parts of the Bible but don't believe it or agree with it. And that's cool, okay? We're not here to arm wrestle you this morning. But, but what I'm saying to you about the ways of God is that the ways of God, we would teach and we believe that God's Word, which is the words of the Bible, the instruction that he's given in, in the Bible, there are his ways. And that's why call, they're called his general will, because that's stuff that we're all meant to do. If we say we want to be someone who loves God and then does whatever they please, that the loving God part would be to, to know and understand his ways. And the, and the general stuff, God's general will, the reason it's called general will is because it applies to all of us. Forgive. That's not just for a select few. That's for all of us. When someone does the wrong thing, we are all instructed to forgive them. We're called to be generous. Everybody to give, to be generous. We're called to love one another. All of us. Not again, not just the, those with the gift of love. The special ops group of lovers. It's, we're all got the opportunity and been instructed to love one another. Serve. Prefer. And, and, and the list goes on and on and on. And you just keep reading and learning as you read through God's word, read through your Bible and say, great, this is God's general will. Well, here's where the good news comes in. And we said this on week one, that if you and I position ourselves where we learn God's ways and choose to actually operate and live within the context of God's ways, then we're already in his will. And we made the statement, the bottom line, if you walk in God's ways, you're always in his will. How many found that very freeing if you were here a couple of weeks ago? That's great news. Wow. If I walk in God's ways, I'm already and always in God's will. Fantastic. Having said that, over my 20 years in church leadership, pretty much to a person, everyone that's ever come to me, and said, you know, Mark, I really want to zero in on God's will. I really want to learn more about God's will. I really want to understand God's will. Typically, almost to a person, they weren't referring to this broader kind of idea. Now, Augustine was when he said, love God and do whatever you please. The analogy I shared last week, it's a bit like you taking your kids to the park and you take them to the park, big park. It's got sandboxes over there. It's got a, a, set, a swing set over there. It's got some monkey bars and things to climb over there. There's a cricket pitch over there. There's a little kind of uh, grassed area over there. And the park has uh, roads around it and uh, copper's logs, you know, the pine logs that, that kind of are the perimeter of the park. And you take Junior and, uh, over there to the park, and you're inside the park, and you maybe just set up, you know, on the grass yourself, and, and, uh, and you said to Junior, okay, Junior, here's the deal. We're going to stay here for about an hour, and uh, I only have one expectation of you. I've only got one rule that I want you to observe. See those? those logs around the perimeter of this park, I don't want you to set foot 
on the other side of those logs. That's the only rule. For the next hour, that's the only thing, that's the only limitation, that's the only boundary I'm placing on you, that you can't, in the next hour, I don't want you to set foot on the other side of those logs. But within those logs, you see a sandbox over there, swing set over there, monkey bars over there, cricket pitch over there, little grass area around here. You know what, Junior, for the next hour, within the boundaries of those logs, you can do whatever you want. The junior says, but mommy, uh, 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 I, 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 want to start, I want to start on the swings. Can I go on the swings? You say, whatever. Go over the swings. Five minutes. Squirrel. Tension shift. Okay. Mommy, now I want to, now I want to go and play a little bit of cricket. That's great. Go and play cricket. You mean I can play cricket? Yeah, how long can I play cricket for? You can play cricket for as long as you want. Remember, there's only got one expectation. Those logs, don't set foot on the outside of those logs, but within those logs, you can do whatever you want. And this was Augustine's instruction, that when you walk in the ways of God, you can do whatever. Love God and do whatever you please. And this is something of a revelation as well for some people because too often we've been taught or too many of people have been taught that God puts limitations on us because he doesn't want us to have freedom. He doesn't want us to enjoy life. He doesn't want us to live an expansive, free-flowing, liberated life. It's exactly the opposite. The reason mummy says to Junior, don't go on the other side of those logs is not that she's trying to limit Junior's freedom. She's recognizes that on the other side of those logs, there's strangers, there's vehicles, there's danger. And when God says, hey, listen, I don't want you to go and live and walk outside of my ways. He does it for our protection, not for our limitation. And in fact, paradoxically, not only does it not limit us, it gives us unlimited freedom within the context of his ways. Love God. And do whatever you please. But I know that people were saying, yeah, okay, Mark, great. But I want to get a little bit more specific than that. Well, the good news for you, and if you were here last week, is that this this area here, which we've called the will of God, is more often, more accurately referred to as the specific will of God. And this is where it does get down to some sort of more finite areas of our lives, like career, like uh, spouse, who do I marry, like where do I live, what 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 house do I, I, I buy? How much should I spend on a car? And, and we start to get some more specific context about God's will. But there's two things to understand. Very rarely, even then, is God's specific will this little speck. And, and, and it's so hard to find, let alone do, that you're probably going to screw it up. That's not... Even how God's specific will operates. And the freedom that we, we taught last week is that actually, not only if when you walk in God's ways, you're always in his will, but that if you walk in God's ways, he will actually lead you into his will. Junior will not get on the swing set unless Junior first is inside the boundaries of the park. You understand? Now, I don't have much intention of sharing anything that's new this morning. 
So if you've been here for the last two weeks, this is kind of a recap. Um, if you haven't been here the last two weeks, you'd be glad I'm recapping because we're catching you up. And again, like Pete said, you can listen to our podcasts. But I just want to really land this thing. And, and, and it's kind of like, I was talking to Baden during the week. And it's kind of like we, we, we mapped out three weeks to teach this subject. God's will is whatever. And uh, I kind of, we got to the end of last week. And I almost felt like, I think we've kind of covered it. I think we're kind of done. You know, like, let's shift gears next week and, 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 and take on something new. Because um, it's almost a little bit too simple, right? I mean, if this is really true, it almost sounds too good to be true. Imagine that. It goes without saying that you can't do God's will until you first discover God's will. Okay? I'm going to recap with three D words. We work really hard to be a church that can teach three points and all three points start with the same letter. Your money's going to a very good place. This, I mean, this is just going to keep getting better. This is a paint tin. I know. I know I said I wasn't going to share anything new this morning, but actually there it is. This is a paint tin. <clears throat> now, Neil Gibb, one of our fearless leaders, he, uh, when he's not running the church, allegedly, uh, he... Uh, runs the paint department at the Bunnings down here in Belmont. So if you go there, you'll see a man in a red shirt, always very industrious, uh, getting his thing done. Let's just suppose that you've decided to paint uh, the interior of your house. Maybe one room, maybe a, a couple of rooms, I don't know. But let's just maybe, you know, you've decided, pretend for a moment you've decided, or maybe this has been your experience, decided to paint uh, some of the interior of your house. And, uh, you, you know, you, you go down to Bunnings and, 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 and typically you have a reasonable idea of, of what, what color scheme you want. You know, you've, you've kind of, you've ruled out some colors uh, and maybe kind of got it, got it down to, to maybe a color even. Maybe, let's just say, for example, our color here at Elevate is blue. So let's just say you've decided that you're going to paint this room blue. You've decided, or you and your spouse, or your wife's told you, whatever you know, the on-ramp was. The point is, you're getting in the car, you're going to Bunnings, and you've got blue in mind. So you go down, you see the industriously working Neil Gibb in his red shirt. You say, hey, excuse me, sir, um, um, we're going to be painting uh, some walls in our house. And uh, I'd like you to just, just point me to, uh, to the paint. Uh, for the house, and uh, Neil, he'll he'll say, well, what color do you want to paint? What you know, what color have you decided? And you say blue. So, would you mind just pointing me to where I can buy the blue paint? And Neil says, what shade of blue paint? And if you're anything like me, and you don't have a long history of manual labor of any sort, uh, I didn't even know there was an indoor section to Bunnings. I, you know, I'm more of the plant side of things, but there's a whole indoor section, including paint section. What, tie, what color blue? I say, well, what do you mean what color blue? Well, so Neil goes to his little bag of tricks. He said, well, <clears throat> if you choose Dulux, brings out his little swatches, you might want to go with the cool camel metallic. 
Maybe Moody Dream. Island Fantasy. True Blue. See, it'd make it easy if that's just the only one there is, but it's not. Not even for Dulux. Passionate Blue. Well, that's Dulux. Thanks. Oh, thanks very much, Neil. That's been really helpful. That's really narrowed things down for me. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Neil says, wait, wait. There's Berger. With Berger, they print their letters so small that preachers can't even read them from the platform. (laughs) Suffice to say, Berger. Great. Now, Dulux, once you've gone through the first lot of color schemes, we've got swatches where there's even three colors per swatch. Of course, if you grew up like me a few decades ago, trust British Paints, you sure can. So, British Paints to the rescue. Similarly small font. So they've got a whole bunch of blue that I can't read. And then if, you know, if I haven't been helpful enough already, Neil might say to you, when you're looking for the shotgun section of the Bunnings store, do you sell bullets? We sell knives. Knives will do! Then he'll take you to the Torben's palette, which have also got three times, 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 times. Have you ever had that sort of experience, Neil? Quite regularly? Is it fun for you or frustrating for you? Huge fun, yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet, I bet you'd do it voluntarily after hours if they let you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the deal. See, whether you like it or not, me as the customer, this is not helpful. If you just gave me like three shades of blue, light blue, medium blue, and dark blue, life would be so much simpler, right? But no, there are over 50 shades of blue, as we've just demonstrated. And this is life. And this is why, for us, even having this amount of freedom to find God's specific will within this amount of freedom living in God's ways can actually be, it should be freeing, it can actually be somewhat limiting. And we said this idea last week that too many choices can sometimes be burdensome. And so from this place and from this day, and for those of you that are still walking this journey to zero in on the specifics of God's will... What I need you to know and what you need to walk away from this place is that God wants you to know his specific will even more than you want to know his specific will. Because there is a purpose for why you are on this planet at this point in history, in this city, in this church. There's a point to that. It's not Because God's just kind of lumped you somewhere and the best we can do is aimlessly kick the can down the road from one day to the next. But actually, there's there's stuff that God wants you to know because there's actually stuff that God wants you and I to do. So we need to first discover his will. And that's the problem. It's not always as obvious as we'd like it to be. And we need God's help. One of the uh, heroes in history that is written about a lot in the Bible, is a guy named David. There was a point in time where David 
wrote a, a song. Okay, we call, it a, we call it a psalm these days, but it was essentially a song. He wrote a song to God. And in that song, and I'm going to read and share from that this morning. In that song, he said to God, doing something for you, bringing something to you, that's not what you're after. Being religious and acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. And there's this, this idea that, that, that there's, there's something more than just going through the motions. There's something more genuine. There's something more bespoke. There's something more organic and natural and relational that God wants with us. And then out of that forms this idea of what we might do. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But first of all, it's this idea that our journey into discovering God's specific will, our journey, the starting point of that is actually going deeper, actually going further, actually getting more intimate in our relationship with God, getting to know Him better. As you get to know somebody better, you get to understand their ways better. And uh, that's the starting point for God. The starting point isn't being on assignment, the starting point is being in relationship. And then David said, out of that relationship and in the context of that relationship, you've opened my ears so that I can listen. One of the most important things that you can do to, when you, as you ultimately want God to lead you into, into his specific will, one of the most important things you can do is to develop, first develop a relationship with him before geeking out on what he might do, you might do for him. Discover who he is. Discover his nature. Discover his ways. Discover his character. Discover his promises. Discover his word. And as you discover that, he'll open your ears to listen so you can wade through the myriad of shades of blue and get closer to the one that works for you. But then, then there's a paradox. There is a paradox because out of relationship with God, he will actually lead us into his specific will, into actually learning and doing his specific will. There's a paradox though. And the paradox is part of the discovery process is actually discovered by doing. The book that's informed a lot of what we've been teaching over these last couple of weeks is this book here by Jerry Sitzer, The Will of God as a Way of Life. And I'm just going to read a little bit of that for you this morning. I'll put it up on the screen as well. He reinforces, he teaches and reinforces this idea that some of how we discover God's will is by doing stuff. He says it a little bit more eloquently than that. Discovering our calling can be like going on a journey. The experiences we have along the road have a cumulative effect, preparing us for future service. In other words, knowing God's will requires more than mere information about what we might be doing in the future, as if we're soldiers being given orders for our next tour of duty. 
we come to know the will of God as a life calling through experience itself. We discover what our calling is in the same way an artist paints on a canvas or a person falls in love. We learn by trying, by experimenting, by doing. Our calling is inseparable from the journey. In fact, in one sense, it is the journey. And so even this is freeing. If you somehow, through this myriad of paint swatches, land on a particular one that you, that you, you think, yeah, I think that's the one I'm going I'm to go with. You take that home. The only way you're going to find out is to actually put it on the wall. But there's a freedom in that because even then, if having put it on the wall, even then, guess what? You can change it. You can change your mind. You can say, yeah, you know what? Now that I've seen it in situ, yeah, no, no. doesn't quite look. Wow. How liberating is that? You can go back to Neil and start all over again. But you're one step closer to finding the right color. Right? Some of you have had jobs that you thought you would like and you didn't. But guess what? You're still breathing. And there's an opportunity to find the next job. And guess what? You're one step closer because you've tried one that you hated. And you go, yeah, of all the things that might be in the specific will of God, I reckon that particular one is out here. It's not even in the ways of God. That's okay. It's liberating. But we only find that out if we choose to do God's will. Second D. I'm telling you, first 10% giving. Some of you know this, some of you know this better than me, but you know, in preparing for this message, I figured out that the value of paint is in the application. The value of paint, some of you should be writing this down right now. The value of paint is in the application. That paint in the can is of no value. It doesn't matter what color it is if it never leaves the can, right? They're all the same color until they come out of the can. I mean, they could be. You wouldn't even know. Right? Torbins could be messing with you. They could all be orange and you wouldn't even know. Neil sends you home. Oh, honey, I got metallic blue. Open up. Orange. Bloody Neil. Torbins lied to me. Well, you'd be, see, you don't know until you open it. But even then, even if it is the right blue, the right, you don't, we don't know until we put it on the wall. The value of paint is in the application. Now imagine this. Let me cast a very thinly veiled metaphor your way. Imagine this. Imagine if every single Sunday at 10 a.m., you went down to the Bunnings Belmont. Now you wouldn't see Neil because Neil's a good man. He's here. But let's just suppose every Sunday at 10 a.m., you carved out one hour and you went down to the Bunnings Belmont and you went to the paint section every single week. 
And you knew what color. You'd already sort of gone through the, the swatches. You knew what color. Electric, blue. Great, fantastic. Every single Sunday, you spend an hour walking through the paint section. And you get your can of electric blue, your four liter can. And you take it up to the checkout. And bling, they scan it through. You go home. And you put that can of electric blue paint in your shed. And you oh, man. Bunnings was so good today. I love Bunnings today. Wow. Bunnings was so good. The air conditioning was working. It was so good. And uh, part of my one hour there, I, I got a coffee and the coffee was really good. I liked, I liked the coffee this morning. Coffee was good. And uh, yeah, that, that customer service guy that I interacted with, he was, he was nice. I liked, liked him. Real friendly chap. And, uh, and oh, it was just so good. I, you know, I learned so much about paint this morning. It's really good. And, uh, and oh, gee, I love paint. Love paint. Love, love, love everything about paint. And uh, boy, have you seen my shed? <laughs> it's really, it's a lot of paint in there. <laughs> really, really proud of all that paint. I get a can a week and I take it home and I put it in my shed. I've nearly got as much paint as Bunnings now. I'm thinking of going and taking a course on painting. So I like, like painting so much. Well, I don't really. I, I just like paint. I don't actually ever use it. But I get a can a week, and they got nice coffee. And people are pretty nice. I even went on Amazon, discovered you can buy books about painting. Ordered a couple of books. Can't wait to read about painting. <laughs> I really love paint. Went onto YouTube last week, found a couple of tutorials on painting. <laughs> it was awesome. Like, wow, people actually, people actually take this stuff out of the can and put it on walls and stuff. I mean, I'm not going to do that. It's going to affect my shed situation. <sighs> I may not be running the paint section of Bunnings anytime soon, but I do understand one thing about paint is that nothing changes until you actually open the can and paint. Let me take some of you on a nostalgic trip down memory lane. I grew up as a teenager in a very hallowed era of video gaming. Some of you did too. And like me, you feel like you were born in a very blessed time in history. Dave, Stewie, Baden. Wonderful, wonderful. Born in the late 60s, early 70s, you were blessed because you grew up in your teenage years with the opportunity to go down to time zone like me with just a 20 cent coin. See, you guys are like, oh, those were the good old days. Yeah, but no, but let me take you even further down that nostalgic trip is, is 20 cents allowed you to play a stand up version of Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. The original Super Mario Brothers. Awesome. I don't even think, actually, I don't even think the original one had Luigi. His mum hadn't popped him out yet. It was just Mario. One of my favorites is uh, one called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Does anyone ever remember Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Mike Tyson's Punch-Out was so clever. Did they even have it in South Africa? 
Awesome. They have electricity to power it up? Um, they... They, um, Mike Tyson's punch out, you, you, you had the, the controllers and, and the, it was like a camera view where it was like the camera was like on the top of Mike Tyson's head and, and you're punching. And, uh, there was a list of opponents, list of characters, bald bull. Remember him? Glass Joe. Yeah. Von Kaiser. See, you've forgotten all this stuff, some of you guys, but you're glad you're here. Von Kaiser. Well, those games uh, don't exist anymore. I'm not even sure Time Zone's doing so well these days. But, um, but there's a new thing you can do. It's called a walkthrough. And here's an example of a walkthrough of Mike Tyson's punch-out. Now, think about this. The actual art of playing video games is already an entirely vicarious pastime. You are not actually boxing. Now, you can go on YouTube and you can spend time watching other people not actually boxing. So not only are you not actually boxing, you're not even actually playing the game. You're just watching other people play the game. Something is going wrong with the world. But this is actually how some people live their Christianity. They read stories about these Bible heroes like David and Nehemiah and Jonah and, and, and they, just, they just read them like, like, it's a, like it's a walkthrough. Like these are just some things that someone else has done and there's, there's nothing that we're actually meant to be in the story. People that come and gather in a church setting once a week for an hour and they get all they can but then they can all they get. And they're like the person that goes to Bunnings once a week and grab a can, but then go home and just put it in the shed. Don't actually do the will of God. Read the books. Go to the conferences. And I'm all for reading the books. I read lots of books. 
I listen to lots of podcasts and I encourage you to do the same. You know, read your Bible. Fantastic. If you've got an old school paper one, get a highlighter, get a pen, make notes. Fantastic. Highlight the stuff about God's love in pink. Highlight the stuff about God's growth plan for you in green. Highlight the stuff that God wants you to correct in red. Great. Fantastic. But you know what? Nothing changes until you paint. God's word in the book has no power until it comes out of the book into your heart and then out of your heart into our lives that we actually do God's will. David said, having just understood that that God had opened his ears, he said, so I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me. I'm coming to the party you're throwing for me. David wanted to be part of the story actively part of the story. He wanted to open his can of paint and paint. I love that. And here's my final thought. I was so encouraged. We started promoting this conversation, God's will is whatever. We started promoting it through late January when we were talking about the new rules of resolution. And I had people consistently come up to me saying, Mark, I can't wait till we teach about that. I can't wait to study that. I can't wait to lean into that. I can't wait to learn more about God's will for my life. I really want to know. And yes, they were talking about this. Fantastic. And they couldn't wait. And you know what? I thought to myself, this is brilliant as a church leader to have as your starting point, this church with an appetite and a hunger and a desire so that actually what I, my job wasn't to stir up the hunger, stir up the appetite, but rather to put some framework, rather to give some instruction so that the people who were fueled by this idea of wanting to know God's will because they ultimately wanted to do God's will would have kind of a framework to operate in. Fantastic. I love that. Some of you, however, and I don't judge you. I mean, I'm glad you're here. We all are. And maybe you're not up to that place yet. Maybe you haven't yet got that hunger or or that appetite. Or maybe you don't even uh, believe God's got a will for you. Or maybe you're not interested in it yet. And again, we're glad you're here. We're not here trying to name and shame you. We're on a journey. And maybe some of you are at a place in your journey where you have not yet got up to that place. What I'm about to say is our prayer for you. Then there's another group of you. You are very, very, very committed to painting. Very industrious. And you're on the front line at all times. For you, what I'm about to say, I want, I want, I want just this last thought this morning to be, if necessary, a bit of a recalibration. Because what we do is important But it's not just what we do that's important. It's why we do what we do that's important. Fuel matters. Those of you that have tried to change your spouse for years, appointing yourself as a travel agent for guilt trips, you understand it doesn't work. It doesn't work over any length of time. God didn't instruct us to change one another instructed us to love one another. Fuel matters. One of the things that David, when he wrote this song to God, is he, he identified the best sort of fuel when it comes to discovering 
doing God's will. He didn't think of God's will in terms of duty. He saw God's will in terms of desire. And he actually, his next thing in this song that he wrote to God is he said, I desire to do your will. He didn't feel forced. He didn't feel like God was going to rip the eternal rug from under his feet. If he didn't, he had this inherent desire to do God's will. But where did that desire come from? I want you to down tools. I I love, by the way, these days, mostly when I'm preaching these days, I only get to see the top of people's heads because people are taking notes and typing on their iPads and so on. Fantastic. Fantastic to see. It's very encouraging. You might think it's off-putting. Pete and I had this conversation the other week. Off-putting. Mark, you find it off-putting that you're seeing the top of people's heads? No, it's fantastic. You're writing stuff down and and I know people are going away. I know a number of you I know have already bought this book and you're working your way through it. Fantastic. Love it. Love it. But right now... Permission granted to down tools. In fact, I really, really want you just to, just to relax for a second. I want to share with you, final thought, why David arrived at a place in his journey wanting, desiring to paint, desiring to do God's will. In fact, the way he wrote it, formed part of why we have called ourselves Elevate Church because he actually, David actually identified part of the character and the nature of God when he wrote these words. And this is actually at the very front end of that psalm that we've been looking at this morning, this song that David wrote. This was the the opening verse of the song. For some of you, this is the song of your life. Maybe you've forgotten it. For some of you, this is the song of your life. Maybe you have to turn up the volume a little. Maybe for some of you, you haven't yet made this the song of your life. And this morning could be your opportunity to make this the song of your life. And here's how David wrote the song. I waited and waited and waited for God. And at last he looked. He finally listened. (laughs) And here's what he did. He lifted me out of the ditch. Pulled me from deep mud. That was you. That was me. For some of you, that's you today, right now. For those of us that God's pulled us out of deep mud, we we must never forget that, ever. For those of you that you feel like your life is in deep mud right now, hey, guess what? The song didn't end there. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure you wouldn't slip. God is not here to shame you. He is here to save you. It's a very, very different thing. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. And then out of that, David desiring to do God's will, David desiring to live, to paint. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. Some of you this morning, you needed to be reminded of this. Maybe, maybe, you know, break my little rule and just write down Psalm 40, verse 1 to 3, and make this the thing you read every day this week. Don't read anything else in the Bible. Just read that. Put it on endless loop. 
Because some of you, you've gotten away from that. You've forgotten that God rescued you and set your feet upon a rock and you've forgotten that he's faithful and dependable. Some of you have forgotten that and there's no judgment. That's why we're reminding you of that. The more we remind ourselves of this, the more, the more we get grounded in this, the more that this becomes our true north of, of why we follow God. We do everything in response to this. That's where David's desire came from. It's in response to this. How could I not want to live my entire life following and serving a God who did this for me? We must never, ever forget that. And then for some of you, this might be news to you. And if it's news to you, I hope it's great news to you. I hope it's great news. And we want to give you the opportunity to take a next step. The, thing that, the next step you need to take isn't necessarily to get the paint out of the can. You're maybe, maybe you're not there yet, but it's to actually take hold of this promise. It's actually to take hold of it and let God, let God be the God who does this for you, who pulls you out of the ditch. This idea of being in a ditch, it's not about just life circumstances. The big idea is that we are incapable of having a relationship with God because we never meet his standards. But thankfully, he reaches down and lifts us up when we couldn't, when we're stuck, when we're out of relationship with him. Some of you, you need to just let him do that this morning. Because you've never actually let him lift you out of the ditch. You're not in a relationship with him right now. For those of you that you need God to do this for you in your life, we're going to give you an opportunity right here, right now. Last and most important thing we do this morning. All I want you to do, for those of you that you know this is me, I need this to be my truth, my takeaway this morning. In a moment, I just want you to put your hand up. You put your hand up and say, it's me. God, uh, I'm not in a relationship with you. I need to be in a relationship with you. So I'm, I'm saying, hey, got my hand up. Come and reach down. Lift me out of the mud. Restore me. Put me in a place of relationship with you. When I see a hand, you can put it down and then we're going to pray. Fantastic. So real quickly, those of you that you need to make this your decision this morning, your next step, just put your hand up real quickly. And when I see a hand, you can put it down. Good on you, sweetheart. Who else? Just quickly slip your hand up. When I see a hand, you can put it down. We don't want to miss anybody. Said so this is the most important thing we do. Fantastic. We saw one person lift their hands. Absolutely brilliant. Let's pray. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a sentence of a prayer. And I, I want all of us to, to repeat this sentence. Pray from your heart, especially that person that lifted their hand this morning. Say these words. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming and rescuing me. When I could do nothing... You did everything, and I thank you. And I commit from this day to follow you, to get to know you, to obey you, and to serve you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have we celebrate with that person that lifted their hand this morning? Special reward for the person that lifted their hand is uh, we'd like you to come and pick up all these paint swatches, please. <laughs> Only one person gets the job. Hey, next week, uh, we might run a book this week about whether I'm going to cry publicly next week when I'm interviewing Amina Mendez. My money's on yes. 
<laughs> Listen, if you want to know a bit more of Amina's story, you can go to our website. As Pete said, there's a three, four minute video of her telling her story. I did cry when I watched that. That's just me in my office at home looking at my MacBook. <laughs> and I'm not a crier, so it's pretty powerful stuff. Really powerful stuff. And uh, so exciting that she's coming. So be here. Bring someone uh, to hear her story. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, love God and do whatever you please.